0: My name is Chaba Toth. I'm the founder of ICQ Global, the author of The Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times, the developer of the multi-award-winning global disk framework, and this is the purpose-driven entrepreneur you are listening to.
1: What's up, purpose-driven entrepreneurs? It's me, your host, Timmy Bauer. My guest today, Chaba Toth. Chaba, I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on my podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So just to give our listeners a little bit of context, as quickly as you can, if you could explain uh, what it is that your, how your business works, like what it is that you sell to who and like, how did it start?
0: The very short version is that we sell on common sense. And when you say that people think, what is wrong with you? Because most people heard about common sense and this is what we are looking for. This is what we are expecting. But have you ever had a conversation with someone and you felt, oh my God, this person has no common sense at all. They just don't get me. But have you ever thought about the fact that they felt the same way about you, but for a different reason? Usually we don't think about that because we expect other people to come to the same conclusion as us, even though they have a completely different background. So when someone thinks like us, we think, wow, finally a smart person, they have common sense. But you know what, that is not a praise. That's not a compliment. It's like telling you, Timmy, you're such a good looking guy because you look like me. You know, that's not a real compliment. It's, it's the projection of my preferences onto you. And I'm happy that I find somebody who is like me. Wow. So when we talk about uncommon sense, then we talk about personal and cultural differences because technically they are just clashes of common senses. So if this is how you approach the topic, then you can just remove the illusion of superiority that I'm above you. I'm right, you're wrong, and I have to prove it. So that's our topic.
1: Yeah, so, um, so your business uh, has developed the global disk. Uh, would you mind explaining what that is?
0: Do you know disk, the four personality types?
1: Uh, so I'm not super familiar. And just for anybody who's unfamiliar, why don't you mm-hmm. give the definition you'd give to a beginner?
0: Yep. Yeah so disc is the most popular behavioral model in the world around 70% of fortune 500 companies use it so it's about the four personality types and the concept itself has been around for probably around 2500 years starting with hippocrates who came up with the four temperaments and he said that we are all a combination of the four types they all have their positive and negative traits they can help you or they can hinder you in your professional or personal life and if you overdo your strength they can become your weaknesses so in 1920, William Marston, or 1928, William Marston published The Emotions of Normal People, and he was the one who introduced the this model, the four dimensions, because according to him, efficient people behave according to the demands and expectations of the environment. And because it was an open domain, a lot of companies created their own versions. So you could create Timmy's disk, and you can trademark it. The underlying concept is pretty much the same. And they all claim that theirs is the best one. But all of them explain how the different personality types tend to behave if they are not influenced by anything or anyone around them, which never happens because you can put different people in a team and they're going to conform to certain norms. So global disk gives you the missing 50%, the cultural intelligence part. And it is important because your personality determines how you want to behave, but your environment Culture determines how you should or technically have to behave. If that is your family, your company, your country, your profession, it doesn't matter. In every single culture group, there is a normal behavior style that most people conform to. And without understanding that, the other tools are outdated and incomplete.
1: When you started the company, who was, who was the, the customer for this product that you developed?
0: Mostly entrepreneurs and bigger companies. And especially tech companies, which are never expected. But it also makes sense because they run really expensive projects. So when the people clash, there is a conflict. They don't get along, then they lose a lot of money. So it is important to understand the blueprint of why people think and behave differently. Because there is a structure.
1: And how has your company grown since you started it?
0: We started... Seven eight years ago, and now we have around 130 licensed partners in 40 countries. We work with two national governments, some Fortune 500 companies, more than 10 universities, and a lot of local businesses as well.
1: I'm curious when you started, what is something that you believed in the beginning that you've evolved your thinking on, Chaba, as you've been uh, running the company, uh, working on? the the problem of uh, what was missing with the disc?
0: Well, first of all, often people expect a really inspiring story that I wanted to change the world, but no, I fell on my face and I lost my first company. So I started the restaurant booking site with 35 restaurants. I scaled it up to the fastest growing and biggest restaurant listing in the UK. It turned into a joint venture and I lost it for some reason, which didn't make sense at all. And I didn't know why. So I got certified in a lot of different things and I wanted to understand what went wrong and how we could fix it. And this is when I realized that 90, 95% of the companies buy and sell people solutions created in the 60s and 70s. And when those people answered the questions, there was no internet, no EU, no mass migration. They had very different challenges. Mm -hmm. We love our great-grandparents but we have very different challenges than them. And the statistics show that as well. The companies spend more and more on the same solutions Expecting different results, which is pretty much the definition of insanity. So just because something is popular, it doesn't mean that it's up to date or it doesn't mean that it's complete. So the feeling of familiarity is not the same as efficiency, but this is a bias. So often we do that.
1: Yeah. You, I've heard you on other podcasts talk about the your origin story and you mentioned a CEO. Was it a CEO that you are a business partner that you just couldn't get along with?
0: I mean, that time, yeah, he was a business partner because it was a joint venture and he was the CEO of the soft company and I was the CEO of my company.
1: And is that when you say you fell flat on your face, is that what you're referring to or is it something else?
0: Exactly. Because my dissertation was about the implications in Eastern and Western European joint ventures. And the department where I studied is number one in the world in its category. I had years of experience, but somehow I couldn't put that theory in practice which didn't make sense. On paper, we had everything to become successful. But on an individual level, it just didn't happen. So what was the enough.
1: theory? You're saying I couldn't put that theory into practice. What theory?
0: Because my dissertation was about how we can merge two companies, an Eastern and Western European company. And that's right. exactly what we did. Got so it. it doesn't get more practical than that.
1: And uh, did you ever figure out why it was that you couldn't get along
0: with him? So technically he was French. I'm not saying that's the problem, but definitely he won he wasn't a typical French. So you know when we learned about the intercultural differences, they technically they are not intercultural ones, they're international ones, which is a tiny tiny fraction of the differences because we all belong to 15 or 20 culture groups at the same time. Country of origin is one of the worst ones. So that was one of the problems because Why do
1: you say this, that country of origin is one of the worst ones?
0: So there was a research where they compared 17 different culture groups in terms of practicality. At the bottom three, as they said it, the worst container of culture, for gender, generation, and country of origin. Meaning that based on these categories, you cannot predict anyone's values and beliefs. There are a lot of companies and coaches who promise that, but science doesn't support that. It has nothing to do with science because more than 80% of cultural differences exist within countries, not between them. Yeah. Think about the you said, millennial issue.
1: You mm-hmm. said 17 culture groups. What does that mean?
0: So we all belong to 15 or 20 groups. That is your gender, generation, educational level, your profession, your job, your family background, your religion. So if you think about it, even if you talk to someone in your own family, what are the chances that the other person belongs to the same 15 or 20 groups like you? It's pretty much zero. Every single conversation is a cross-cultural dialogue. Every single team is multicultural, even if they are not international. And once we get this, we realize that we have much more experience than we realized.
1: What's something that you feel like um, you, yeah, I I guess this is a way that I could ask the question is if you were to have to work with this business partner again, what would you Mm -hmm. do differently now knowing what you know?
0: I wouldn't take things seriously, not personally. The problem is that if something goes against your values, it triggers a really intense emotional response. And something is so obviously wrong that you cannot even imagine that it can be right to somebody else. But the problem is that 95% of our actions are driven by values and beliefs we are not even aware of. So I can't even explain it. If I cannot tell you why I got pissed off because I don't even know, how can we get to know each other? For example, a lot of people don't know what power distance is. And definitely they don't know what their own preference is, even though it is that determines power everything. distance? Yes.
1: What's power distance?
0: Power distance is, is how you feel about inequality. So for example, if you have a high preference, then for you it's normal and accepted that if somebody is older than you or they are higher up in the hierarchy, then they should have more rights than you. They deserve more. But if the power distance is low, then your assumption is that we are all equal. It doesn't really matter how old you are, what kind of title you have, we are on the same level. So because people don't know about it and they don't know their own preference, it's difficult because it determines everything, how you interact with people, what feels right, what feels wrong. So taking back the previous example, for example, that person had really high power distance and now I understand that the way he was treating me reminded me of my dad, how he was treating me. And that triggered me because I could never accept that. Because he had a very high power distance, mine is low. If you try mm. to be more than me, that's going to be an issue. I never want to be more or less than people. Mm. And when they do that, that triggers me really hard. But at That time I didn't know that, now I do. The problem is that you, you can reflect as much as you want. But if you don't know about something, You're not going to find it. Yeah, it doesn't matter how much you reflect on how to say good night in Russian if you don't speak Russian.
1: Yeah, what's your advice to somebody that's in a similar position that I'm in? So I have a small team. It's a growing team. Like my business is growing, therefore I'm I'm having to hire. Um, haven't done a lot of thinking about cultural, uh, like cross cultural communication and the fact that every time I have a conversation with just any person, I'm supposedly talking across 15 Mm -hmm. to 20 different cultures. Um, What is something that you think most people in my shoes don't understand and it ends up biting them in the ass?
0: So there is a nasty sounding term called homophilic diversity, which means that we like and trust people who are similar to us. So even if Uh they look different, if they think like you, then you think, oh, I like this guy. I can trust that guy.
1: My favorite people to hire are the people that I feel like can read my mind.
0: And that's dangerous because it feels good. But that means also that the cognitive diversity of your team is very low, meaning Mm -hmm. that you have the same blind spot as a team, just like you as an individual. So it feels good. And especially if you look different, it's even better because you can take a picture, post it on the website, it looks like you're a diverse company. But if you look at the only layer of diversity that has proven benefit in terms of performance, and I'm pretty sure this is what you want, that is cognitive diversity. The way people think, the way they process information, their perspectives. Having said that, when you have a lot of cognitive diversity in the team, it just means that you have a lot of people with a lot of perspectives. So that is the potential for success or disaster. It depends on how much you understand yourself and others. That's the problem with that. What happens when somebody disagrees with you, when somebody cannot read your mind? What's your first assumption?
1: Yeah, well, it would heavily depend on the context. Um, But uh, like generally speaking, if somebody disagrees with me, my first assumption is usually that they don't understand.
0: They don't understand you.
1: They don't, yeah, they don't understand, like either either there's a big picture that I haven't conveyed well or or I just wasn't clear in what I was trying to explain or something along those lines. So, like, like my knee-jerk reaction, I'm not saying that this is always the mm-hmm. case. I'm saying, I'm just being yeah. gut-level honest. My knee-jerk reaction is usually they don't understand.
0: Yeah. And do you have the feeling that you understand them?
1: That I understand them? hmm That's a good question. Um, I think that generally speaking, it's hard for me to like in a lot of ways, when it comes to work, it's hard for me to understand most people. Like, for example, one particular thing is most people hate change. Um, And my thinking is, how can you hate change? It's like the nature of life. Um, And you like, there's no progress without change. So It's very hard for me to be understanding to somebody in a work environment where the only reason they're upset or seemingly to me, the only reason they're upset is because we used to do things one way and now we're trying to do them a different way.
0: I think most people don't like change. Definitely, they don't like sudden change. This is how our brain was wired. It is designed to keep you in the comfort zone. It is designed to make you hang out with people like you. It's normal. So when you say that, let's get out of the comfort zone, it's like telling people, let's go against nature. You don't do that unless you really understand what is the benefit of doing that. Yeah. Because by default, if something is uncomfortable, something is scary, then your brain registers. It as oh, avoid it. Let's avoid pain. Let's move towards pleasure, which is our comfort zone. Is it dangerous? Yes. Is it an illusion? Yes. Because like you said, certainty doesn't exist in nature. We know that. So we have to reframe that experience that something can be uncomfortable, but also positive. If you are able to do that, then we can do it. So maybe those people don't understand what is the benefit of doing it. If I can see that change, that's danger. But if they can see the big picture, they understand why you want that change, how that serves them, and what is the problem that they can avoid in the long run, then probably they are going to be much more willing to do that.
1: So I'm curious what's wrong in this particular context with not being diverse as it relates to uh like change aversity or change yeah aversion to change so like if I just want to hire a bunch of people that are not averse to change why is that bad from a cognitive diversity um like as a strength standpoint
0: So usually the people who like change they like variety they think short term and they are motivated by opportunities. On the other side, the ones who are scared of the change, they are motivated by security. They are mo- they, they have a long-term thinking. So imagine yeah. if you hang out with a bunch of people like you and yeah, let's do this, let's do this. Yeah. Okay, guys, yeah. let's get going. You know, you think about the next three months. But when you have those people who think long-term, they can ask you questions question that you would never think about. And that can save you a lot of time, money and hassle. Yes. Because they, are, they can spot something that you cannot. But they also need you because those people would just plan, plan, plan. You know, like a bad sniper aiming, aiming at target is gone. And your type is just shooting all over the place. Probably you get it right. But what if you can combine it? What if you can see the same situation from different perspectives? But naturally, you don't want to do that because you look at them. You're just slowing me down. You are a hassle. Just stop asking questions. What is wrong with you? But the level of pain and frustration is exactly the same on the other side. The way they feel about you that you put them into danger that you are reckless it's scary so the level what, of pain is the same on both sides the reason is different
1: what do i do about that as a as a as the person who's running an early like stage company that has to constantly change in order to like in order to become a stable company
0: I think being flexible is important. Often what is missing is the clarity. The problem is that if you don't have the clarity of the future, then the familiarity of the past is going to pull you back the routine. So if you're a leader, then you have to be really clear about it because if you can describe the future as vividly as other people can describe the past, then they can stand behind you. If you can explain why that action is needed, what is the benefit of doing it and what is the cost of not doing it, and also you get the input from other people. So they feel that they were part of it. You don't yeah. just impose a decision onto them. Then the engagement goes up.
1: Yeah. Because
0: often this is the biggest problem that people don't want to be right, but they want to be heard. So if you just tell them what to do, they don't understand why. They don't feel that they had a word. It's very unlikely that they would be engaged. You can force them, especially the introverted people, they would say yes, but not because they mean it it's because they protect themselves.
1: Yeah, so I like, I like this input a lot. Um, my thought is, how do you imagine somebody could, who's honestly trying to follow your advice could screw it up?
0: There's always a chance. If you're an entrepreneur, there's always a chance. We know that.
1: Like, let's let's say I'm going, okay, I get it. I buy it. Like, um, my team, they always need to understand the reason for the changes that we're making. And I need to do a thorough job of explaining it. And I need mm-hmm. to be able to describe the future as vividly as they can remember the past. Like, I think that's great advice. Let's say I'm honestly trying to follow that advice. How could you envision somebody like me still screwing it up?
0: Last time when we had a conversation, we talked about, Self-inclusion. yeah, And this is very much part of it. When we talk about an inclusive environment, this is what we described. That you understand people, you understand their strengths, weaknesses, so you can create a high-performing team. You don't want to make everyone normal or average, but they can amplify their strengths, they can double down on it, and you find complementary partners. That's why cognitive diversity is important. So they don't have to pretend to be someone else. But self-inclusion is the first step you have to know and understand and ideally like yourself because if you can do that, then you can disagree with people. Often the biggest problem is that the, the leaders and the entrepreneurs are kind of insecure and they have to be right instead of getting things right.
1: Interesting. And this
0: is why we refer back to the uncommon mindset that if you have that vision, so let's say that you have a team meeting and you have this clear vision, and also their psychological safety and trust among you. Then you realize that the people who disagree with you are not against you. They don't want to humiliate you, but they see something that you cannot. They know something that you don't. So if you listen to them, then you can see the same situation from different perspectives. So that's why that vision is so important because when you zoom out and you realize that ultimately everybody wants the same thing. But but what they argue about is, What is the right way of getting there based on what I know? Yeah. So for example, if there's a disagreement between you and me, and you know you are right, then the default position is that obviously I'm wrong. But you know what? No, I'm right from my perspective. So if you can ask me the right questions, and you can ask me what I can see, what I know, and I can do the same thing, and we are able to see the same situation from different perspectives, then we can make better decisions. That's powerful. So the language is really important. The question is not if you are right or I am right. But the question to ask, is there an even better way of doing things? That's the only question.
1: Yeah, yeah, Especially
0: When you talk about those people who are very motivated by security and certainty and they don't like change, often they refer to best practices. But the best practices were the best ones that time. So the question is, is there an even better way of doing things? Yes. And if that's how you phrase it, then you don't talk about change. You talk about leveling up. And that's why we never talk about change when we do the workshops or the coaching. Because change sounds nasty. I know it exists, but nobody likes it. If I tell you to change, what is your first impression? What what do you feel if I tell you, Timmy, you have to change?
1: Well, like I said, I'm in the minority here because I'm very not, I'm the opposite of change averse. If you told me that I need to change, my ears perk up. Like, I want to I wanna know. Oh, interesting. Okay, this, this guy's got some valuable stuff to say to me.
0: Then it's really rare because most people would hear that I'm not good enough. Something is wrong with me. And that's not a good feeling. So that's why they get defensive. But when you talk about leveling up, you know, it comes from the gaming industry. You play a video game then you have challenges, you learn new skills. At the end, you destroy the monster. If you do, you go to the next level. If you don't, you start over. And this is what most people do. They don't learn the lessons, so they start over. They always blame somebody else. But once you get it right, you destroy the monster, then you level up. So this is our approach. It's you, but an upgraded version. So there's nothing wrong with you, but you can achieve more with less amount of energy. It's not a bad deal.
1: I, I, I love this. This has been, this is a super helpful conversation. Um, Chava, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, so you wrote a book, uh, it's called Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times. I don't mm-hmm. think that the average person who writes a book is not also thinking about what it is that they're trying to do on this earth. When you think about the question of like, what is your legacy? Or what are you trying to accomplish? What jumps out to you as important?
0: So our topic is, is really personal. So I told you about the professional reason, but when I lost my company, then I lost really important people around me as well. And that was heartbreaking, especially you know, when you make a mistake, who cares? You can deal with it. But when you hurt other people, believing that you're doing the right thing, that is, that is horrible. That is yeah. not something you could forgive. It's your best intention, but somehow it backfires. So most of the opportunities, time and energy are lost for two reasons. One is friction with people who think and behave differently. And the other one, maybe even worse, friction with ourselves. So we have to address these. Because often, for example, the the highest level of growth is when you stop wasting your potential, when you stop ruining relationships. And this is what I want to fix because I know what it costs. I know that there is a solution. But if people don't know what the problem is, and they don't know that the solution exists, then they just do their best. And often, they don't get the best results.
1: I, um, I'm, so I'm a kid's book author. I believe that part of leaving a legacy is reaching the hearts of kids. Um, just for fun, what, what is something that you would make, uh, what is a topic that you would make a kid's book about if you could?
0: I used to love dinosaurs, and now I started to like them again because of you. <laughs> yeah, we all did. <laughs> but probably because that's my my own interest. Probably that would be about cats because you they would, have. Wait, you'd re-
1: make a kids look about cats?
0: <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, okay. Why? Cats. How so?
1: What would because it like? What would
0: it be? What would it? Because what would you be trying to show? Have two cats. Because even you know. A lot of people like dogs. You know, there are cat people and dog people. And usually the dog people, they like easy love because having a dog is almost like having a vending machine for love. You know, it's automatic. But with a cat, you have to get to know them. You do the basics, they don't care. (laughs) No, no, no. It's all about the extra. And I messed it up in the beginning. So now they don't like me that much. We have two cats, Apocalypse and Destruction. And they're amazing. Wait, your cat's names are
1: what? They're they're, named what?
0: (laughs) Apocalypse and destruction.
1: Uh, distraction and what's the
0: first one? Apocalypse, like the end of the I, world.
1: Oh, apocalypse! Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, that's that's hilarious. That those are the yeah. names of your cats. <laughs> yeah. and so fitting, and it makes sense. I'm not a cat person, but I feel um, I feel attacked. <laughs> because but it's kind of my reasons why.
0: <laughs> yeah they love vending machines you know it's it's automatic you insert the treat you get the love with the cats they get the treat and they walk away you have to get to know them they have different personalities different yeah. moods so it takes yeah. a lot of effort it's almost like practicing on people
1: yeah that would be a freaking great kids book honestly like just the the concept of cats being you know not vending machines for love and how you have to get to know them and then like the crossover of like how that relates to people that would be amazing um uh my last for fun question for you chaba is what is something that you currently suck at that a year from now you want to be great at
0: professionally or personally
1: uh either one or both
0: diet diet
1: yeah
0: (laughs) if i really want to be honest then probably diet because you know i always try something and then i'll never follow through so that's kind of disturbing
1: are you the type that usually goes for um like the diets that are like hyper restrictive and just designed to like get you to lose a bunch of weight
0: but it's difficult because you know I'm, i'm really motivated by freedom because often our values come from the perceived void in our childhood. Yeah. So to me, that was always the missing part because I felt that my parents were really controlling. So now that's definitely my number one value. So when I have that kind of diet, then I kind of annoy myself. What do you mean I cannot do it? Yes, I can. So <laughs> it's a constant battle. That's
1: so funny. Yeah, you're absolutely right about values being the result of like a void in childhood. and people who value freedom and then are able to achieve it really struggle with weight. Like I think generally speaking, like everybody that I know of that has a high value for freedom and they have achieved freedom, they struggle with their weight. And it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense because how are you going to control your eating when you hate the feeling of being controlled?
0: And Jocko Willink has an answer to it. Discipline equals freedom.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: It works for him and probably he's right and I'm wrong. So (laughs) there's a better solution.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm like the last person that could possibly give advice on this because I'm also (laughs) overweight, but I have one success that I've had is I've been able to make the gym feel like an oasis that I like Mm -hmm. crave going to every day. And I think that's been the result of like a combination of consistency. Like it's a regular thing that I go and do. The fact that it's like an outside place that I have to physically go to that's not in the home, I think that's super helpful as well. So it's like if I'm going to go there, I'm going there like there's only one thing to do there. There's a bunch of workout equipment. Um, And then I'm not sure I'm not sure what else, but it has gotten to the point now where like if I need a break from like the craziness, the thing, Mm -hmm. the place I want to go to is the gym. So, small victory there. We'll see if I can actually take off all the weight that I'm trying to take off.
0: <laughs> I don't want to ruin it for you, but I used to do the same thing and then I watched the documentary. It was in the UK. So they went to different gyms and they checked how much bacteria and virus and you know all the nasty stuff they found on the weights and the equipment. And more than 90% of them had more than 300 times more germs on the weights than in the toilet.
1: That's so, amazing
0: wow that's disgusting and if you think about it when was the last time that they cleaned the barbells for example yeah and due to the pandemic now probably they did but before yeah. that
1: yeah well hopefully that documentary is <laughs> is is not taking into consideration what they all do now because of the pandemic whenever i go i always wipe down the barbell before i use it well i shouldn't say always because i don't always but most of the time i do but um, I've heard the same thing about our phones, though—that our phones have more bacteria and and uh, like microorganisms on them than a toilet seat.
0: But it's we'll yours.
1: Slap that right up against our face.
0: Yeah, but I think that's yours. But if you think about the gym, how everything is just flying.
1: <laughs> what well, my mom used Authentic. to say. My mom used to say germs are good for you, like they're they're good for your immune system. Like she, it's true. <laughs> She'd send us science. out to go play in the dirt. My I wife has asked me right. before, like, were you raised on a barn? And I was like, well, I was raised in a trailer park. That's almost the same thing. <laughs>
0: it's a competitive advantage. I think that's a good start.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, this has been a super fun conversation, Java. How would you like listeners to connect with
0: you? I'm happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. Find me there. Send me an email. I'm going to answer to every single email. Definitely.
1: Yeah, awesome. I think
0: Yeah, and- are smarter together.
1: And uh, I would encourage everyone to check out your book, Uncommon Sense in Unusual Times by Chaba Toth. Chaba, thank you so much for being on my podcast.
0: Thank you so much.